well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. Glad that you could join me on the program today. My name is Cam Edwards, and I'm happy to be behind the microphone once again. Hopefully you uh, enjoyed your Memorial Day weekend, took a little time out to remember uh, why uh, many of us had Monday off. It is not so that we could barbecue. It is not so that we could grill. Although, you know, I mean, look, it's a, it's a bonus. But, uh, of course, Memorial Day to uh, honor those who have made the ultimate sacrifice uh, in defense of uh, this country. I, I normally, there are two spots uh, in and around Farmville where I like to go on Memorial Day weekend. Uh, the first is Appomattox National Battlefield. Uh, which is a little bit closer to my house. A little bit further away is Bedford, Virginia, where the D-Day Memorial is located. Uh, I did make it to Appomattox on a, a gray, cloudy Sunday afternoon, and I managed to uh, pay my respects to uh, some of these soldiers buried there uh, who fell in the uh, closing days of the Civil War. And I'm planning on uh, heading to the D-Day Memorial in Bedford this weekend. I'm not going to go there on the 6th. Uh, because it is a little crowded, and I just don't really want to do that. But uh, I, th- I think I'll go on the 5th of June, the day before the uh, D-Day anniversary, and uh, pay my respects to those uh, American servicemen who lost their lives, uh, freeing Europe from totalitarianism in uh, 1944. On today's program, we're going to talk about the opposite of totalitarianism. That would be the individual right to keep and bear arms and individual freedom itself. A number of state legislatures are wrapping up, including the state of Texas, where a sine die took place on Monday. Uh, there is the possibility of a special session later in the year. I don't know if any Second Amendment-related issues are going to come up during the special session, Uh, in part because lawmakers were incredibly productive in the state of Texas during the regular legislative session. And I I think it's fair to say that uh, Texas really is leading the way uh, in terms of pro-Second Amendment bills this particular session. Look, this was the year of constitutional carry. Uh, Not only did we see Texas pass constitutional carry legislation, but Utah, Montana, Tennessee, Iowa, it uh, seems like I'm blanking on at least one other state. But uh, again, that's five states that uh, approved constitutional carry legislation just this year. Many more states, almost a dozen, have uh, a passed Second Amendment sanctuary or Second Amendment preservation uh, legislation as well, including in the state of Texas. Uh, and it is likely that Texas Governor Greg Abbott going to hold a signing ceremony this week for constitutional carry uh, and the uh, Second Amendment sanctuary bill. I don't think he's going to sign this legislation in the dark at night. I think he's going to make a big to-do about it, and, and rightfully so, uh, although, of course, critics are complaining that uh, constitutional carry in Texas is uh, what was this? Matthew Dowd, uh, founder of Country Over Party, says that uh, the bill would be, quote, laughable and sane if it wasn't so dangerous. Now, again, Texas, the 21st state overall to approve constitutional carry. So nearly half of the states in the country uh, have passed constitutional carry language over the past decade or so. Uh, Not one state has gone back on this. Not a single state has passed constitutional carry and then gone back a couple years later and said, well, this was a huge mistake. Uh, yeah, we're going to scrap this and we're going back to uh, shall issue or uh, may issue. In fact, no state has gone from shall issue to may issue. The right to carry revolution has moved in one direction, in one direction only in this country, and that is towards the full recognition of our right to keep and bear arms. But I got to tell you, besides the constitutional carry language in Texas, 
Besides the Second Amendment sanctuary legislation that was approved in Texas, uh, lawmakers in the Lone Star State passed a number of other good bills this year, including uh, a couple of bills that I, I would love to see become model legislation for other states around the country. Let's talk about Senate Bill 19, which uh, cleared the House over the weekend. Uh, now goes to Governor Greg Abbott for his approval. This was uh, a bill that discourages banks, uh, payment processors, insurers, and other financial institutions from discriminating against the firearm industry. Uh, it prohibits businesses that engage in this practice from contracting with governmental entities in the Lone Star State. So basically, they cannot, they can do some business, but they can't bid on bonds uh, that uh, you know state governments or local political subdivisions would issue in the state of Texas. If you're discriminating against the firearms industry, the state of Texas is now going to discriminate against you and forbid you from taking part uh, in the bidding process for these bonds. I think that's huge. Texas is a big state uh, with, what, about 28 million people living there. So this could have, I think, an impact uh, on the financial industry. I think it would have more of an impact, however, if other states uh, followed Texas' lead here and approved legislation of their own stating, listen, if you're going to discriminate against the firearms industry, if you're not going to do business with gun companies because you don't like the firearms industry, well, we're not going to do business with you because we don't like financial institutions that discriminate against uh, businesses that are lawful, that are legal, and frankly are directly involved uh, in a civil right that is fundamentally as important as the right to keep and bear arms. You know, we did see an attempt at the federal level to try to do something about these banks as well. In the waning days of the Trump administration, there was a proposed rule from the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency that uh, would have just you know provided a, a blanket federal prohibition on financial institutions discriminated against the firearms industry or other disfavored institutions like oil and gas. This was one of the first measures that Joe Biden undid uh, when he became president. He put a halt uh, to the public comment period for this proposed rule and uh, blocked that proposed rule from going forward. So now it really is up to the states uh, to push back against these anti-gun financial institutions like Bank of America and say, no, you, you, I mean, look, you can, you can make your own decisions, but those decisions will have consequences. And if one of your decisions is to discriminate against the firearms industry, we'll get ready to lose some business. So that was Senate Bill 19, again, approved by the House over the weekend. Uh, another good bill, Senate Bill 20. Now, this bill actually protects individual gun owners uh, and not the firearms industry. So uh, basically, when a gun owner were to stay at a hotel, um, they are going to have to, uh, well, right now, you know, they can check in and then they can be told, hey, sorry, we don't allow guns in here. Meaning that they've got to store their lawfully owned firearms in their car where they're subject to uh, a theft. Um, this would end uh, the ability of hotels to say, Illegal gun owners know you can't bring your guns inside. Uh, they could now store their lawfully possessed firearms and ammunition in their rooms. They could transport them directly en route between their vehicles uh, and their rooms. So this gets rid of some of the uh, the hassles, not, and not only the hassles, but really it, it, it gets rid of a policy that can exacerbate gun thefts. Uh, whether or not you like the fact that we have the right to keep and bear arms in this country, 
we do have that right. And I believe that it is important to uh, ensure that firearms are uh, stored in such a way that uh, it's not particularly easy for criminals to get a hold of guns. We know that uh, thefts from vehicles, um, they're on the increase. And so this measure, which will allow, again, those gun owners who, you know, pull in after a long day on the road uh, to store their firearm in their motel room rather than leave it in their car outside overnight. I think this is a good bill. Senate Bill 20. Uh, Hopefully this will get signed by uh, Governor Greg Abbott as well. And again, uh, these are just a few of the measures that the uh, state of Texas adopted protecting the right to keep and bear arms this legislative session. Texas is kind of interesting because the lawmakers there only meet every other year for 140 days. So they've got a lot of work to get done in the short time available to them. And so what often happens is that lawmakers will say, all right, what's the what's the one Second Amendment bill that we want to get behind this year? Or what is, you know, one or two Second Amendment bills we want to get uh, behind this year? Because we've got a lot of other stuff on our plate. Well, this year, two major pieces of legislation in constitutional carry and the Second Amendment Sanctuary Bill uh, approved by lawmakers. But then you also had other, I, you know, I don't want to call them secondary bills, but they they did they certainly didn't get as much attention. And they're maybe not as broad in their scope as constitutional carry or uh, Second Amendment Sanctuary legislation. But, but bills like Senate Bill 19, Senate Bill 20, a, another bill that will protect foster parents who are gun owners uh, also passing out of the legislature, It is remarkable uh, to see the amount of work that was done to strengthen the right to keep and bear arms uh, during the 140-day session in Texas this year. And again, there's a blueprint, I think, going forward for other states, not only in terms of constitutional carry, because there are a number of red states out there that still have yet to adopt uh, constitutional carry. Indiana, looking at you. Georgia, looking at you. Florida, looking at you as well. But these other pieces of legislation that can also move the ball forward, that can ensure that uh, these attempts by uh, uh, banks or uh, you know anti-gun industries to uh, to target firemen, ammunition manufacturers, that 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 there is a pushback there. There are other things that can be done to ensure that responsible, law-abiding gun owners don't suddenly become criminalized because they're exercising the right to keep and bear arms. And by the way, uh, you can do all of these things while also uh, encouraging law enforcement to focus on those violent offenders, to go out and target those who are most at risk of committing violent crimes, and to ensure that there are consequences for violent crimes. Because all too often, as you and I both know, uh, you know, in Cases like or places like Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, Baltimore. Homicide clearance rates below 50%. And people believe that they can get away with murder because often they can. And when criminals believe that they can act without consequence, guess what happens? You get more crime. Which brings us to today's recidivist report, along with our armed citizen story, our good deed of the day. Uh, let's start, though, with our recidivist report. This is out of the state of Kansas, where the uh, mother of a killer in Kansas is uh, headed to jail for a brief amount of time for providing her prohibited person's son uh, with a firearm. Shirley Loader was uh, 67 years old when she was charged with criminal distribution of a firearm earlier this year. 
Prosecutors alleged that she had provided her son, David Madden, with a firearm that he used in a shooting back in 2019 that took the life of a uh, of his father, uh, injured two law enforcement officers before uh, Madden ultimately killed himself. Loader had originally pleaded not guilty to the charge, but she changed her plea to no contest uh, before Rice County District Judge Richard Burgess entered, uh, issued his sentence during a bench trial. Now, Loader was sentenced to one year in jail, which I believe is light enough. In fact, I believe that's too light. I know she's 67 years old, or at least she was when she was charged. I believe she's 68 years old now. But still, she knew that her, her, her son was prohibited by law from possessing a firearm because he was a convicted felon. And yet, she still, uh, you know, gave her son a gun. Now, the one-year sentence was suspended for Shirley Loader, and instead, a uh, judge is only going to require her to serve 60 days behind bars. Yeah. What's amazing here, uh, Remington Dalkey, who is the uh, Rice County attorney, said, while I requested she serve the entire jail sentence, I understood the judge's sentence and believe that it aligns with justice. A condition of prohibition is no contact with the victim and their families. All right. That's fine. By the way, uh, Baker's uh, or Madden's uh, then girlfriend, uh, Aaron Baker, uh, also previously sentenced to 60 days in jail and 18 months probation in her connection with the shooting. She drove a car with her young child in the back seat when Madden first shot a uh, sheriff. Then she took Madden to his home for more guns and ammunition before they drove to his uh, father's home. Uh, never once calling 911. She watched him exit the car, start shooting his dad before she uh, drove off. So again, a 60 day jail sentence for her as well. 60-day jail sentence for the uh, mom who provided her convicted felon son with a gun that he was not allowed to possess. Again, I think both of these sentences are far too light. When we talk about getting serious about violent crime, and we need to do something, and you've got lawmakers who say, or, or even law enforcement officers, like the police chief in Miami, Art Acevedo, who over the weekend said, well, you know, we really need these background check laws. Really need universal background check laws. Why? Why do we need them? They don't prevent violent crime. We know they don't prevent violent crime because there's no way for police to proactively enforce a background check law against private transfers of firearms because they don't know that those private transfers are taking place. And when we see crimes like this that are already crimes and the punishment is a tiny little tap on the wrist and go on your way, again, what kind of message does that send? We don't need new gun control laws, but we desperately need to enforce the laws that are on the books. And when 97% of felony cases end up in plea bargains, we are not fully enforcing the laws that are on the books. And we are allowing individuals who should be facing real consequences for their crimes to instead get away with them with uh, very, very few consequences involved. All right, uh, on to our armed citizen story from the uh, Lone Star State of Texas, where a uh, 70-year-old homeowner shot and killed a suspect who attempted to break into his home in southeast Houston. It was uh, a case of deja vu, according to uh, Click2 Houston, because this homeowner had been robbed at gunpoint just a couple of years earlier uh, in a uh, his other house, which is actually next door to where he lives. Uh, Monday morning, Channel 2 in Houston says, an attempted home invader had a much different outcome. The uh, homeowner who wishes to remain anonymous, 
said, I yelled at him first to let him know that I'm aware of him in front of the house, in front of my window. It didn't stop him at all. It was about five o'clock Monday morning. And he said he first saw the shadow outside of his home. Then he heard these sounds of an attempted home invasion. He said he busted out of the windows with both hands. He said, so the first thing that came to my mind was to grab my pistol and shoot him one time. But he said uh, the would-be intruder became even more aggressive. He said he came right back in through the window again. He said, I don't know if he had something or not because everything happened so fast. So after I shot him twice, he left. And I didn't come out the door anymore. The uh, 74-year-old victim said he called police, waited for them to arrive. Police said they found the suspect collapsed outside of the front window. The uh, homeowner, by the way, said that he recently borrowed the pistol that he used from a friend, hoping to avoid another break-in after being held up in his other home next door several years ago. Now, keep in mind that while this gentleman acted in self-defense, according to gun control activists, this gentleman should still be going to prison. Because he borrowed a gun from a friend. Didn't go through a background check. This is one of those private transfers that a universal background check would criminalize. It's not a blood relative, right? Doesn't matter how long he's known as friend. According to gun control activists, because this guy borrowed a gun from his friend to act in self-defense, he should be looking at a year-long federal prison sentence. You agree? I mean, I certainly don't agree. Would that stop violent criminals? I don't think so. Would it inhibit the ability of individuals like this homeowner in Houston to act in self-defense? I think that it would. Uh, And finally today, our good deed of the day from California, where an off-duty officer from uh, Reno, Nevada, able to save a a teenage girl on Sunday. This was in the uh, Gray Eagle uh, area of California, Blairsden, California, I believe. This uh, 17-year-old was actually pinned between a car and a building in the parking lot of uh, the the Great Eagle uh, Mountain Frosty. After uh, police investigated, they learned that a a guy had backed out of his parking spot in the uh, parking lot, and he revved his engine while he was in reverse, which caused him to speed backwards and then pinned that teenage girl from Carson City, Nevada, between his car and the building. The girl was stuck for about 10 seconds before bystanders jumped into action. The uh, off-duty Reno police officer opened the car door, put the car in neutral, pushed it off of the girl before running to his car, then to get a tourniquet. The uh, 17-year-old is expected to survive. She did suffer severe leg injuries. Um, The uh, driver of that vehicle, by the way, arrested for reckless driving, causing serious bodily harm. And this could have been much worse uh, if that Reno police officer had not been in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. Well, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. I want to thank you, as always, for being a part of the program. also want to remind you that you can become a VIP member of BearingArms.com. You can get exclusive analysis, commentary, news stories, and more. All you have to do is go to BearingArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNS, and you get 25% off of your VIP membership. Don't forget, as well, you can subscribe to Town Hall Media on YouTube or just look for Bearing Arms, Cam and Company on Rumble. Amazon Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher. We've got lots of ways for you to find us. And uh, you can also tune in bright and early, uh, 5 a.m. the rest of the week on WMAL in Washington, D.C. I'll be sitting in with my friend Larry O'Connor on O'Connor and Company. wonder where they came up with that name. Hmm. Enjoy the rest of your day. We'll see you back here tomorrow with more of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.